Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into the latest edition of the Pump Fake. Jarrett Bailey with you as always, joined by my friend, colleague, mentor, Mike Tanier from The Messenger. Always good to see you. We are not dressed up. That is that is one that is one thing that I said earlier. We are, we are not dressed up as Batman and Robin. No, no. I'm trying to I have like the Michael Keaton flash movie Batman. I can kind of get that look going if I if I put a little wig on, but that's about as far as it goes. It is good to see you, as always. Um, I do want to start, though. I'm, we'll get into the Week 9 slate. But um, there, was a fu- there was a few firings uh, inside the building in Las Vegas as Mark Davis has finally had enough, and he has fired Bill Belichick cosplayer Josh McDaniels as head coach, as well as his offensive coordinator, Mike Lombardi, and his general manager, Dave Ziegler. They are starting anew in Vegas again. And now Mark Davis is paying... Two head coaches that are no longer under his payroll. Well, they're under his payroll. They're not in the building anymore. And now Antonio Pierce will be interim head coach for the rest of the season. Just a lot of uh, crap hitting the fan in in Las Vegas. Oh, and by the way, Aiden O'Connell's the starter going forward. So the Jimmy Garoppolo era in Las Vegas lasted all of, what, a month and a half, two months? (laughs) So. Just everything that could have gone wrong in Vegas has gone wrong. They're three and five, turning to the rookie quarterback. I think Devontae Adams is probably happy about that. But uh, were, were you surprised that they did it in season? When it happened, and I, I find out about it at about 6 a.m. East mm-hmm. Coast time, because it kind of ha- broke overnight as news. Uh, you know, I, I started thinking about it, and I realized this is a owner angry about how the trade deadline went. He's angry about how Monday night went, because that was – just I don't know what he expected, but that was just a poop show. Yeah. And I can't and, and there's news breaking right now. Florio is talking about how teams were inquiring, the Jets were inquiring about Devontae and were rebuffed. And I think another team was inquiring about Devontae and were rebuffed. And I think Mark Davis sort of got wind of this and say, Why do I why am I paying an incredible amount of money for a completely disgruntled employee right now? When the Jets would probably, you know, to get him back with Aaron Rodgers would probably throw something significant at us to get this guy. And I'm out from under his salary. And that, I think, was the catalyst, as well as the last couple of games, which they've been horrible, of him saying, what what am I doing with any of these clowns? You know. I think that's fair. And, you know, the lasting image of Jimmy Garoppolo right now in Vegas is him violently overthrowing Devontae Adams on multiple occasions, the last of which there was an alliance defender within 15 yards of him. Right. Um, so, yeah, you've got this disgruntled, really talented player that you absolutely could have gotten something for. Right. And Ziegler and Comedy just say, nope, not trading him. And, and, yeah, and Davis has to be wondering, why did we go from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo? There's still no logic behind that. Like you say, well, we're done with Derek Carr because of his limitations. Okay, then you go get a rookie or you go and you go all in for Aaron Rodgers or something like that. You don't just say, well, can we get a light beer version of even Derek Carr and pay him a lot of money? Oh, and is he already injured when we sign him? Like like, like this triumvirate of things 
where you say, well, okay, we bring Garoppolo in. Well, maybe we're getting some professionalism out of the deal. That's what you were getting. That was the professionalism on Monday night. And and, and don't forget, also, Garoppolo was hurt, and we had the, we were subjected to Brian Hoyer. Yes. Right. Do you think now, that, that was maybe a part of it, too, that he started Hoyer over O'Connell when, when, he, when he should have probably started O'Connell rather than throwing, like, we know what Brian Hoyer is. We know he doesn't give us the best chance to win. Why are you putting him? It just felt like Josh McDaniels was trying to turn, and Ziegler were just trying to turn them into, like, Patriots West. Right. Well, the moment Hoyer got signed, you know, I would take these guys into the office and, like, well, what's the purpose of this? Garoppolo yeah. doesn't need a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Garoppolo does not need a mentor. You know, the quarterback room could be Garoppolo. And, okay, O'Connell's going to be your rookie. And then then someone cheap, free, you know, another youngster, et cetera. You don't need you, – you want to bring Brian Hoyer in. He's your assistant quarterback's coach. You don't do this. And there's all these times along the way where I think Mark Davis should have been asking these questions. And maybe he was behind the scenes. But it had to be banging on his head at the end there, especially if it's getting back to him that phone calls are going to McDaniel Ziegler, you know for Devonte Adams and again told uh, no you know we we don't have a plan we're, we don't have a plan to make use of him and he's pissed off but we don't want to get rid of me get rid of him either we we're just we're just not going to do it you know it's like you, a you picture McDaniel's being like that too just like no nah, just not gonna absolutely it's right. like um what is that show is it Parks and Rec where David Cross is like it hasn't worked for anybody else but it could work for us like this <laughs> just that entire right and I think what what is really the big overarching thing from this is that the Patriot way doesn't work. It right. worked in New England, obviously, but when you try to take it elsewhere, it doesn't work. And right now in New England, it's not working anymore either. Right. So and you bring in, I mean, you talk about the signings, you bring in a Hoyer, a Garoppolo. It, that was the biggest thing too, because if you move off Derek Carr, fine, whatever. If you, if you feel like you've seen the limit of what Derek Carr can be with the Raiders, then whatever. But if you go from cores to cores light, how much is there really a difference? Right. Like if, if you're going to go from a cores, at least go to like a get a Dosecchi's or get something, get something, get a Heineken. Right. Uh, yeah, something right. different. Or, or the new, or get the brand new beer from the local brew pub and say, well, we're going to, this is the rookie beer. Get rookie yeah. beer. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and try. Like there was, and there were reports in the off season and, you know, after a really bad season last year, that Six McDaniel, and last year, I think five and eleven or five and whatever it is now, five and twelve yeah. or six and eleven. It was like, and they had lost all those games where they had a lead and they blew the lead. And McDaniel started doing the talk about the culture, mm -hmm. going to change the culture. And like, anytime you hear the culture talk, like it's a yellow flag. But if you're doing it in your second year, it's a red flag. Yeah. Like, what did you do in the last year that now? You, and the, and then of course the culture thing was we're bringing Hoyer in. We're bringing <laughs> okay. Jacoby Myers is a good player. You bring him in. There's guys sure. running around that bench who are like just Patriots guys who get brought in there. And right. the, the Patriot way for every one of these other yahoos, Patricia and and McDaniel, oh, Patricia. <laughs> it's always to go grab guys off the Patriots bench and babble about the culture. And storm around and, like you said, cosplay Belichick. It's never anything that's tangibly real. This was a problem years ago with the Bill Parcells clones. Mm. 
and not Belichick, obviously, because he's different, although the first time he was a little bit like this with the Browns, where they think running around and giving tough guy speeches and going my way or the highway and telling guys to run laps, like that was Parcells' secret. No, Parcells' secret was that he was a brilliant defensive guy and a, a talent evaluator and a talent developer, and he had motivational tactics that weren't just yelling. But like these little mini Belich- uh, mini Parcells as it went out there were just screaming assholes. And that's what they thought the secret sauce was. That's what Belichick, you get these secretive weird martinets uh, get in there and 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 like you know, crappy to the media and are crappy to players and everything they think that's the way bill did it it's like bill did that because he did all the other things right that wasn't the thing he was doing right right and like we knew what we, we've seen this josh mcdaniels thing before in denver like albeit yeah. it was a decade ago but it wasn't good and if you look at his win-loss record in denver compared to what it was in vegas it was largely the same and yeah. The same issues that were happening in Denver arose in Vegas. Yeah, this is all. I mean, a lot of this goes on Mark Davis too, because yeah. it doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason for these head coaching hires. Like, if you want to go out and get Gruden out of the Monday Night Football booth, that was a risk in of itself because he hadn't been a head coach in a while, and the game had largely passed him by in his time away. And then you pay big money for Gruden. All that stuff happens, obviously, with that makes him, you know, step down and. Uh, then you go out and pay big money for Josh McDaniels. Oh, by the way, McDaniels has parlayed riding shotgun and a Rolls Royce. <laughs> Three head coaching gigs if you count him leaving the Colts at the midnight hour. Right. I, I just hopefully this is a lesson learned that, you know, going forward, look for head coaches that do more with less, not, you know, what's expected of them to do with a Tom Brady that they've had for two decades. Right, and the, the NFL establishment doesn't think that way. For the Raiders, for, in terms of a rebuild, you have to go back to McKenzie at the beginning of the Del Rio era. So I, I think we're back at around 2013 or something. 2013, like, 2014. Where they get Khalil Mack and uh, a Carr and Cooper after doing a salary purge, and they sort of start building that team. That team falls apart. Del Rio is kind of an idiot, let's face it. Um, they had a hard time building traction. But since then, Mark Davis has had zero interest in saying, let's – do real rebuilding stuff. It's all been like, let's let's get Gruden and let him spend money like a madman. Yeah. Let's get Daniels and say he can get Chandler Jones, which we don't want to talk about, and, and, and Adams, and we're going to fix this right away. If he, I don't know if he can do it again because I don't know who's going to sign on with him at this point. That's the thing. Like, whomever they do bring in, like, it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be, like, a well-established name because, like you said, who's going to want to do that? Right. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe Bill goes there. What do you think? Bill Belichick, he already got the clone. I was joking about, I wrote a thing for the messenger. He will shake hands with Mark Davis and he'll feel the oily sweat on his palm and he'll start going this, I guess. And he'll just turn around and leave and just drive away. <laughs> like, 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 I, I had you sussed out the moment I walked in the door here. Um, the, the talk by and Florio just put this out there is that Harris and Magic Johnson and those guys in Washington will make a play for Belichick. And of, of course they will. Of course they would. And, and with their money and, I think they know people like they have mutual friends and things like that. They could probably make that happen. I don't know if that really works. I don't know if translating Belichick at this point in his career solves any problems. And also he's under super secret contract now with the the Patriots. But like that's more believable that like Harris and the commanders can go out there with the, with the money and the prestige. And like, we're not Dan Snyder. We're a different, right. you know, here's, Magic Johnson's here. You, you can't argue with this guy. Right. And they can get a guy that Mark Davis can't get. Yeah. Aaron and I talked about that, like the possibility of Bill just being traded. 
um, from New England to somewhere else. And Washington seems to be like the team that would be, you know, at least at the top of that list. But that's a whole other conversation for for another day. Um, Looking at the week nine schedule, Mike Tanier, there's not a lot of uh, it's a top heavy schedule. There's like four games that are like, my goodness, and then eight games that are just, oh, my God, they're so bad. Um, But. The Miami Dolphins of the Kansas City Chiefs kick off the Sunday slate in Germany for whatever reason. Why Why would you want to have Tyreek Hill's return to Kansas City in Arrowhead? Makes no <laughs> sense. Um, but the Chiefs are favored by a point and a half. We know the stories of both teams coming in. Chiefs are coming off their first loss to the Broncos since Barack Obama's second term. Mm. Um, and the Dolphins are looking for their first quality win of the season. Where are you leaning right now in terms of this game? I'm all over the place with it. For the reasons you said, you know, I watched the Eagles take care of business against the Dolphins. I watched the Bills really take care of business against the Dolphins. And you've mentioned it, that the Dolphins' wins are these, like, just molly-stomping things against the Panthers. They're beating, like, like FCS Midwest and Pineapple State. Just They're not beating (laughs) anybody worth a damn right now. Right, right. And then I look at the Chiefs, and I'm like, the Chiefs don't look real to me right now with this receiving core. Okay. And I, I was like, if they even had Juju Smith Schuster like last year, I could say, I can see this shootout happening. Mm. But I know the Chiefs' defense is pretty good this year. I don't think yeah. that they're the, pretty good is not going to be good enough against, against, against the, uh, the Dolphins. And this is either like the most magical Patrick Mahomes game in the world in terms of the things he does. <laughs> Or this is like the reality check, and the Dolphins smoke the Chiefs. So I can see, I can, I think that's what it would be. I think either the Chiefs win close, or the Dolphins just smack them. I, I feel like just teasing the the Dolphins to minus six or something like that, and getting the line up to plus two hundred or something, and just playing that, and like, well, if I lose, I lose, but I get the payday. Yeah, here. because if that if that's the way it's going to go, I want I want a payday for it. You know, that's fair. That's a good point. Um, yeah, like you look at the Chiefs receivers. Like, why is Sky Moore still a thing? Like, we've I think we've seen enough of the Sky Moore experience. Yeah. Obviously, Justin Ross is a nutcase, and he he's yeah. no longer with the team. Um, and then you have like Kadarius Tony. Um, who the hell else is on the yeah, on Kadarius the and Miko are the same human? Me- oh yeah, yeah, they did they did trade for Miko, I suppose. So. Right, who went out and muffed the kick because he's Miko. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You know, like like the Jets looked at this guy like, no, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> and they had him for five years there in, in Kansas yeah. City. They know it's like these are the two or three routes we can trust him to run and the end around and the shovel pass and the punt return if he fields it. Um, and Kadarius is the same guy, except you can put him in the Wildcat, which yeah. Rushy Rice is coming around as somebody sure. who might be helpful. Uh, Boutrez, Boutrez, Galley, uh <laughs> You know, like at receiver, that's your one deep threat every three weeks. Um, he was the prime minister. I, I think I just made a horrible political joke. He was the prime minister of a, of a, of a nation that we probably shouldn't even talk about if I'm remembering. Marquez Valdez Halfling, ladies and gentlemen. That's who Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they. this isn't exactly a murderer's row. This isn't the 27 Yankees lineup at receiver for the for the Kansas City Chiefs. This isn't very good. Um, when... when when Andy recoached Reed- the Eagles, we had these years where it was like Todd Pinkston. Oh, L.J. Smith. Right, right. And 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 there was a year where it was Torrance Small and Charles Johnson. 
He was a Steeler for a minute. He was a, a, a Steeler for a couple of years. I think he was a first round pick of the Steelers, and he wound up on the Eagles. Wow. But and, and that was McNabb, not not Mahomes. But that defense was really good with Brian Dawkins, et cetera. But yeah. like you know, it's it's frustrating to watch them because they're not going to run the ball. They're finding Kelsey in these magical ways, but it's like, well, you know, at some point Kelsey catches ten for eighty, and the rest of these guys drop passes and fumble. And that's the thing too. Like, it's great that Kelsey can do that, but it's not anything deep. You know, he's eating the middle of the field and getting some yak, but he's also how old, he's like 34, 35. Now, how long can he keep going at this clip? Right. Uh, eventually, they're going to need to have some sort of, you know, some ca- a cavalry that comes in aid of Travis Kelsey, not him just going out there like Jesse James every week trying to just right. shoot up the OK Corral. Right. Um, so that does worry me about Kansas City. I think that if the the Dolphins also didn't have Jalen Ramsey until last week, and he's already right. making his presence known. He had an interception right. last week against New England. So, you know, Miami didn't really make any moves, but getting Jalen Ramsey back, that's kind of their big trade deadline splash is that he's back in the lineup. Yeah. Um, so I think that that would be – if, if, if the Dolphins are going to get their signature win, it will be in this game. They could they could put Ramsey on Kelsey. They could. Especially if Xavier Howard is healthy. I don't know Xavier's status right now. But like they just say, well, heck with it. This we'd be wasting Ramsey. Ramsey's a big dude, and and, and it'd be similar to like when um, McVeigh and Staley had him playing star at, yeah. at in Los Angeles, just moving yeah. him around. I don't think it'd be too different than that, just putting him on Kelsey. Right, right, right. That's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna I'm going to tease the line in some crazy direction and like bet on a Dolphins blowout, and then like, well, if I take the loss, whatever. But like, go for that big payback. I'll I'll tell you on that by the way. If you okay. if you post it on threads, I'll look I'll I'll follow you on it. Yeah. We'll, we'll right. double up on it. All right, right. Well, we'll we'll make bad decisions together. That's fine. If we're gonna there's worse things that we could do. Worse things that we could do. <laughs> we have made uh, worse decisions in Indianapolis. That's very true. Um we, we talked about the Raiders already. The the trend of interim coaches and teams playing hard for interim coaches. I'm betting Raiders minus one and a half against the Giants. Do it. Absolutely. Do it. I it's love at I did, home. I, yeah. At home against maybe Daniel Jones if he's back, who scares nobody. I trust the Raiders defense a lot more than I thought I would at this point in the year. We know a good Crosby is and whatnot. Um, yeah. I, one and a half interim head coach, Aiden O'Connell and the boys. Let's ride. Go Raiders. Do it. Bills Bengals is the other big game. This one's in primetime on Sunday night football. We all know the, your severity of what happened this past season with the DeMar Hamlin situation the first time that both teams will be back in the same building since – or back in that building at least since that happened. Um, the Bills, one-and-a-half-point dogs on the road. I think this is, so this is the first time the Bills have been underdogs in like 27 games or something crazy like wow. that. Um, I don't know, man. This is – with the Bills – I can trust that they're going to, if it's a big game, they're going to show up. I know that they're going to show up. They're going to play at their hardest. But I know that when they play like Appalachian State, it could be a game. So I trust that Buffalo will show up. I trust that it'll be a competitive game. Um, Does Cincinnati keep this thing going? They look like their old selves again, especially after the bye week with Burrow's calf getting as healthy as it can be. He just went 28 of 32 against the Niners for three touchdowns and the defense looks really good as well. I, I don't know. I'm not touching the line for this game. I'll bet some player props, but in terms of the, I have no idea. I have no right. idea. what to Right. I, the bills as favorites attracts me a little bit. 
but my faith in them is very low. And how can you have faith in them to show up after the AFC playoff game against the That's Bay? fair. That's fair. Right, right. Right. I mean, and they can, sh- and one thing is also they can show up like, ah, you know, like it's so over the top hype that it is Josh Allen throw it into orbit day and like, you know, blitz that, that, that is the other thing. Is it going to be like Josh Allen against, against the Jets? Is it going to be Josh Allen against the Patriots? Or is it going to be, you know, Josh Allen showing up the way that he did in, the, in you know, weeks two through four where he was looking great against the Raiders and they were plumbling teams? So it's, it is a very much like pick your, Pick your poison type situation when you bet on the Bills. And I like how, you know, the Bills on last Thursday night, and it's like, this is them at their peak. Look at what they're doing. You know, look how effective they are. The final score of that game was 24 to 18. That game had zero, zero reason to be that close. Like the Bills were stomping them for three quarters, and then they took the foot off the gas. And then the Buccaneers went on that like 37 play, two hour drive. Right. uh, That ended in a touchdown. Right. And then the Buccaneers get the ball back. Von Miller goes off sides, and if Chris Godwin turns around a half second sooner, the Buccaneers win. Right, and that's and this is the Bills' big game. Yes, Bills get stopped at the one in that game. Uh, Allen throws like a, a, a batted pass interception that leads to a touchdown. Like if this is them, this is a Super Bowl caliber team at peak capacity, and they're going twenty four to eighteen. I know it's Thursday night, et cetera. Sure. That that doesn't that doesn't restore my faith in them. That doesn't restore my faith. So I was, I don't know. I, I'm I'm staying off the board on this one too. Um, I got something for you here. Aaron has some odds. Okay. The Bills make the playoffs 84% chance if they win. Their chance goes down to 54% if they lose. Oh my goodness. Well, the second half of their schedule is brutal, man. They got Philadelphia, Kansas City. I think they got Dallas in there. Um, they get a break. I think after this week, they play Denver. But after that, man, they got Miami again, too. Like, it is a right. brutal stretch. It's a brutal stretch. You wind up as a wild card behind the Dolphins in a lot yeah. of these scenarios if you lose this game. And I believe this would take them to one and four in the in the AFC. It's going to be – they have four AFC losses. Yeah, because they lost to Jacksonville. They lost to the Jets. They lost yeah. to the Patriots. And this would be a loss to the Bengals. So that would be so one and four. Your tiebreaker situation is – Is hellacious. Right. Right, if you lose this. So I, I call this a Super Bowl conversation elimination game. Okay. I don't want to hear – I mean, they'll make the playoffs. Both of them will probably make the playoffs. At least the Bills will. I don't want to hear about a Super Bowl contender from the loser of this game, whoever they may be. What if it's like super-duper close and the Bills win by like a field goal? I think that Cincinnati could still kind of be hovering around that conversation. But, yeah, but look at Cincinnati's schedule. Look at the division. Like you're going to – got to tell you, Mike, I'm yeah. – if I'm the Bengals, the Steelers don't scare me. If I'm the Bengals, the Browns, I know that the Browns beat them in week one. The Browns right. don't scare me. It's not about and, being scared. It's about already having a tie, being behind the tiebreaker eight four. Yeah, uh, but do I, do you trust the Browns to keep rattling up wins with PJ Walker and Creeper whenever he's in the lineup? <laughs> no, I don't, but you already are 0 and 2 in division. I can see the sure. Ravens sweeping you. I can see you. That puts you at 0 and 3. So you go 3 and 3 in your division. You wind up knotted with the with the Ravens at the end. You're a wild card right now. You're on road going through the playoffs. It's a real tricky and they they would be with a loss. Let me pull this up so I'm not wrong. They would be 0-4 in the AFC with a loss. So they're going mm. on the road throughout the playoffs probably with a loss here. So it's not a matter how good they are or how bad the creeper is or <laughs> or, or the Canada. 
Uh, <laughs> Canada Florida. and the Clipper sounds like a show on HGTV or something. Oh my god! Oh my god! Not HGTV. Oh, like what are they? What are they fixing up homes together? <laughs> Matt Canada TLC's and Sean Watson. TLC is the better network for that. Like coming up after my six hundred pound life, Canada and the Creeper, like something like that. <laughs> right, right. He's an idiot. Um, He's a scumbag. Together, yes. yeah. <laughs> they solve crime. I gotta say, like. The Matt Canada thing's well and done and overplayed. Like he seems like a, from all accounts, he's a nice guy. It's just he hasn't ran a successful offense and he, since he was at the University of Indiana in 2007. So it's it's not good. Um, the, the Bills, the Bills and Bengals, by the way, since Week Five and EPA per play offensively, the Bills are second, the Bengals are sixth. And then if I pull up their defense, because I am curious about Buffalo's defense in that span. But the Bengals defense is third in EPA per play since week three. The Buffalo Bills defense is 29th. So I think that you know, without Milano, without Trey White, yeah. that's it's gonna now they do have they just traded for Roswell Douglas. I don't know if he's gonna play this week or not. Probably maybe 50-50, probably not. Um, but regardless, 29th in EPA per play, not good. Not good. Not good. And some of the EPA per play on offense, there are so many plays from the beginning of the season beating the crap out of the Raiders. Oh, don't worry. That, that's why I adjusted it to two weeks. Okay. Five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was still more reasonable. And per play, they really were smoking the Buccaneers. So that yeah. makes Yeah. And I think when we see like fans were clamoring for like more, hey, let Josh Allen be Josh Allen and run the ball. Because yeah. we've seen how successful they are. And he started doing that more. I think he had early on in, in the in the game, they had like a third and seven and he picked up nine. He ran for the touchdown, obviously, early right. on in the game. Um I would like to see them utilize him more in the run game. Maybe not be the entirety of the run game, but he's at he's at his best when you know he's allowed to be him. Yeah, two or three zone reads a game can make a huge difference on how you're sure. defending. Yeah, doesn't take much. Your Philadelphia Eagles are three point favorites at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Philadelphia is starting to come into the red. They, something about them and the Commanders. I always know to bet the over in those games. Um, <laughs> yes. They they have a tendency of making Sam Howe look like Patrick Mahomes, and he played played his ass off. But so did Jalen Hurts, throwing for four touchdowns. Um, both these teams coming off really big offensive performances. Dak Prescott had a really nice game against the Rams. Um, three point favorites are the Eagles. I still think until Dallas shows me that they can win a close game against a good team, I'm going to bet against against them in that situation. So I like the Eagles in this game. I think three points. I would. I think the Eagles by like five is a is a fine. Find score to to bet, so I go Eagles minus three. That that's reasonable. Uh, you know, in DVOA, I'll be on with Aaron tomorrow, and the Eagles are ranked ninth in DVOA. In DVOA, in DVOA, and you have a lot of these games. When you look at their wins statistically; they are not dominant wins. No. Uh, the pass defense gives up a lot of yards. We saw that with Hal this week, for example. We saw it with Mac Jones. He he, he had a lot of yards along the way. Um, Anytime you're giving up a lot of passing yards to Mac Jones, it's time to really look yourself in the mirror. It is a, a little bit. Now, part of it is there's no solution for the Eagles in the slot. Or, or wherever they play hide the number three cornerback, a team that can find them is finding them. And for the uh, commanders, uh, it was Dotson, really, in the slot. Which, that was Jahan Dotson's first big game of the year, too. He had been very right. quiet up until that point. Right. And, and the Eagles are putting Bradbury on him sometimes. Bradbury's not a good matchup for Jahan Dotson. Right. Uh, and then you put, like, Blankenship, <laughs> that was not good. Um, you know, and so and so the Cowboys are going to be like, well, we're going to hide CD Lamb any place we possibly can and keep him away from Slay. 
and that'll be tricky. I just don't know what else the Cowboys can bring to the table against a good opponent, as opposed to the Rams, who are an opponent that has four amazing players and then nothing else. Yeah. Um, what, how much you, of, uh, of an impact do you think Kevin Byard is going to make? Because obviously, like, Terrell Elements is fine, but Kevin Byard's an upgrade at that spot. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at the Eagles EPA-wise, um, EPA for play this season, they are fourth. Success rate, they are sixth. So, I mean, the offense has been, in terms of an EPA for play standpoint, they've been good. Yeah. But up until recently, like, until they played the Dolphins, they hadn't looked like the dominant Eagles that we were accustomed to last year. And then I think the drive after the interception late in the game against two, where they just drove it down their throats and just ran and ran and ran and then hit the hit the deep bomb to AJ Brown. I think that was when, oh, okay, there, there's the Eagles. They, they, they were still there. It's just now they finally come out. The turnovers are a big deal. And the run it down your throat mentality kind of left, I think, with Steichem a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where now, like, we're it's like feature Jalen Hurts, you know, and feature AJ Brown some more. I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for the Eagles. I, I think that balance is a big deal. I think the Vikings game was a reminder, like, just, just, just run it, just run it, yeah. you know, just run it against these opponents. I don't know if you can do that against that, but you want to stay super balanced against the Cowboys because their pass rush will destroy you. How much? Did, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit. It comes down to like the trust with the Cowboys. I don't know if I can trust like. They they barely escaped against the Chargers. Like they tr- Mike McCarthy tried out Brandon Staley, Brandon Staley, and Brandon Staley tried out Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy. Like it was just a, a battle of who's going to mess this up first. Right. Um, so, I mean, in Dallas, you look at their numbers, they're pretty close to the Eagles in a lot of offensive categories. The Eagles are fourth in EPA per play. The Cowboys are sixth. And then when you look at success rate, Dallas is eighth. The Cowboys are, or the Eagles are sixth. So they're near each other in offense. Um, defensively, you know, Dallas has had a lot of injuries this year. How are they going to be able to answer for AJ Brown? And if they, like, if you try to double AJ Brown, okay, there's Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, uh, at tight end and they can still run the ball a lot. So I think there's just going to be too many questions for the Cowboys defense to answer. I don't know if they have the the horses to answer all those questions. I, I can definitely see that. And again, you look at the opponents, they beat, they steamrolled and got defensive points or points off of turnovers very early against these teams like the Giants who don't have a lot of firepower against the Jets. Again, the Rams have firepower. They've got no offensive line. Yeah. Um, you know, so so you do that. It's a different it's a different vibe against the Eagles. So, uh, you know, it, it's a diff- difference between a high volatility team like the Cowboys, really, really low floor, really, really high ceiling, and the Eagles who don't have a low floor. I mean, they have a high floor and a high-ish ceiling, but it, they haven't done these like, you know, 45-point wins or whatever the Cowboys have done. I, I'm I'm more comfortable with the Eagles. You know, Eagles Cowboys games here in Eagles country is is insane. It's like anxiety neurosisville, you know. And I I'm glad it's a 4:30 game because I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna leave the tavern I'm gonna leave that environment. I'll be back here in my office working for that game. But like the tension level for these games is really high around here. But I don't I don't bet Eagles Cowboys games. But if I did, I'd go for the Eagles. I uh the one Eagles Cowboys game I do remember very vividly. What year was it? Was it two thousand? Maybe two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, last game of the year where the Eagles won something like forty to six or something. They just beat the living hell out of Romo and Owens and the boys. Um, and that knocked out not knocked Dallas out of the playoffs that year. It was just a big collapse that they had in the middle of the season. Right. Oh my! I'm trying to remember. Is that the year the Eagles 
made it back into the playoffs and made it to the NFC Championship game, or was that that would, that would have been 2008 then? Because I think they played the Cardinals in the NFC Championship yeah. game that year. Yes, and this was this back and forth thing, and then Kurt Warner led this up a comeback against the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah, that was the Trent Cole game. Trent Cole had like two or three sacks in the mm. game we're talking about, and uh, I don't think I wasn't writing on Sundays yet. And if I remember correctly, that was like a big drinking and whooping it up uh, experience <laughs> for that. Kind of miss having those in, in this line of work where it's just like, oh, the game's over. Uh, let's do shots. <laughs> the game's over. Got to file my deadline. Okay, okay. Get my notes together. You know, I might have an unpopular opinion, and you can, you can, I, I would like your opinion on this. So, like, my friends obviously know that, like, they know I, what I do for a living and whatnot. And they ask, oh, man, you must, like, go to the games a lot and whatnot. I'm like, no, I, I, if I can stay home and I'm going to stay home. Do you, you Is that the case for you as well? Do you prefer staying home rather than being in the press box? I prefer to be stay home to being in the press box. So much of what I do, it's rare that I'm doing a gamer. Mm-hmm. Where it's like get down there and interview the, you know, ask the quarterback a question and things like that. I've done that, but it's a different scene. When you're, when you're doing like the Sunday roundup or like uh, or you're – uh, sending an email to an editor. Well, after this week, I think I want to write about Josh Allen or I want to write, write about Kirk Cousins' injury or whatever. Mm-hmm. Being in the press box is zero help for that. It could be a hindrance for that. Yeah. Because you can't get necessarily the information you need quickly unless it's on the exact game you're at. I'll say this. like, So the Steelers have a Thursday night game tomorrow and they have another one against the Patriots in a few weeks. When it's a standalone game, cool. When I don't yeah. got to worry about doing like several other games for, for, different, for different outlets, awesome. Right. Um, but yeah, very much on a football Sunday, I'm at home and I'm in, in my little my little corner office taking care of stuff. That's what Bleacher would do for me. They would send me on the Thursday night standalones if they were regional. That, that's smart. And I would do a gamer for them. And then like on Sunday, I was back in the house. And that was good. I was out at Pittsburgh. Michael Vick started. You had the Michael Vick game against, ba- uh, against Baltimore? Against the Ravens, which was this, you know, a typically muddy, mucky, grimy game and I, i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly the uh the steelers won it they did right and i mean i forget who i interviewed after the game in there and it's like and i was like it's great I, I get interviews after the game and i put them in there and, and everything and and you get the same number of viewers you would get if you were sitting at home and just like mm-hmm. look at this play you know let's make fun of this guy or whatever <laughs> but i had the added joy and then that one i took a plane i flew from philadelphia to pittsburgh how long like, was that flight? Like 10 minutes? It's like 10 minutes, but it's like two hours waiting for the plane. And then it's like an hour of weaving through the, uh, the around the river to get from the, um, the, the airport to the game and then back to the hotel. So like I'm still five hours on the road where it would have been like six hours on the road. Right. But I had the convenience of not having my own car. That is, uh, I'll say this about that. So when I did, I did a feature on Michael Vick and I was talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, about you know, his time in Pittsburgh. And I straight up told him, I was like, Michael Vick, I know that everybody else remembers you for your chaotic runs and whatnot in Atlanta. But growing up as a Steeler fan, the one Michael Vick play that will forever stick out in my brain is you running and leading the way for Le'Veon Bell, oh throwing, a lead, throwing a lead block for a touchdown. And he just started laughing. Oh like, that's, what that's, what, that's what you do when you're a Steeler. And I was like, damn right it is, Michael Vick. <laughs> so that, that was fun. Um, where were we? Seamless transition, talking about Baltimore. They played the Seahawks this weekend at home, five-and-a-half-point favorites. That's going to be the game of the 1 o'clock window, at least we assume so. Um, Baltimore, they 
big win against Detroit a couple weeks ago. The by the way, the Cardinals last week a legendary backdoor cover against the Cardinals. Yes. Um, they were nine and a half point dogs. They recovered the onside kick because Nelson Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar, and Matt Prater kicked a field goal to uh, push the game to within a touchdown, and they covered. So shout out to you, Nelson Aguilar. Um, I think I like Seattle in this game, though. Um, Baltimore, Baltimore to me, man, like I can always count on them to be, you know, a nine, 10 win team when they're all healthy. They'll be in the midst of the wild card hunt. I can't count on them to always be dominant right. with the exception of Lamar's um, first year as a starter where they just steamrolled people because no one had an answer for that offense. Right. Um, so they've had a few weeks stretch now where they look really good against the Lions. They beat the Cardinals. I think that facing a Seattle team, um, that right now is hungry. Who just added Leonard Leonard Williams to an already really good defense? I don't see a hole on the Seahawks defense. This is a team that's in first place in the NFC West, playing to stay in first place in the NFC West. And I think they go in. I don't think they just cover. I think they win outright in Baltimore. Wow, I'm not going for an outright win. I just do not trust the Ravens minus six in this game. <laughs> if there's any team, and last week was a just an example. Any team that's going to win by four or by a field goal in a close game. It's the Ravens for the last 12 years of their lives. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I watched the Ravens Cardinals. Uh, Ravens are number one in DVOA from Aaron shots. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. And he said, if you take the Lions game out, they're still number one in DVOA. And I'm going to ask him tomorrow on the podcast if he was high when he did that, because that can't be right. I, I watched the Cardinals game. And I was like, when does this game start? <laughs> Like, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the replay. I'm like, when do the Ravens start to look good? It was 7-7 forever. And the number of three and outs by the Ravens will stun you. Like, that they're just – it looked like that bad version of the Ravens offense that we sometimes see where the running game doesn't work. We took away the, the scramble lanes, and, like, nobody can get open in the middle of the field for, for, for Lamar. And I was do you remember? Do, do you remember a couple couple seasons ago on Thursday night they were playing a really bad Dolphins team and they did that exact same thing where the Dolphins just said you're not running on us and you're not doing a little swing pass shit beat us downfield and they just sent I, I think I can't remember who was still there for the I think it was 2021 was Flores was there and Tua I think he benched Tua in that game because Flores for all of his genius does the dumbest things with quarterbacks yeah. <laughs> you know but. But to his credit, he just sent like eight guys all yeah. night and they could not figure it out. And they right. beat the Ravens in a game where they were the, the worst team, but they Baltimore just couldn't figure it out. It felt like that was happening again, uh, something similar to that against the Cardinals, where they were just – Cardinals just didn't care. They they had nothing to lose and they were playing like it. Right, and then Joshua Dobbs was just throwing the ball up for grabs. The astronaut. The the pastronaut was out of <laughs> was out, out of, of orbit. Yeah, at this point, you know, he had like three or four games of trickery that he could throw at you, and that was really <laughs> run out in this game. There was one play where he managed to throw the ball away at the last second. He scrambled backwards thirty five yards. Thirty five yards. That sounds about right for a career third stringer. Yeah, he got out of the arms of like Mondabuke or one of the one of the guys there and managed to throw it away at the last second. I, I like Joshua Dobbs. Uh, Good luck, Minnesota. He's a very nice young man. Um, I don't. Anyway, going back to this, I don't trust the Ravens to cover a six-point spread. I don't see this overpowering Seahawks team, but you're right; they're complete. Yeah, they're complete. They're sufficient. Uh, they're not going to go out there and lose a bad game stupidly because of this glaring weakness. That that's not who they are, and they should play everybody close at this point. Yeah, and you know, they're getting healthy too. Like they're getting Charles Cross back. The offensive line getting healthier. 
Um, and defensively, they've been like Reek Willen's been good. Devin Witherspoon's been really good as a rookie in the nickel. Um, you add Williams to Mafe and Draymond Jones. Bobby Wagner's still playing at a relatively high level when he's there. Like Jamal Adams has had a really solid year too. Like I don't yeah, see he's back. Yeah, he's, back. he's not a joke right now. He's not a meme. Right? <laughs> and, and and the Bobo kid. No, came yeah, in. the Bobo fella who's you know every every white guy sitting at home is that's his, their new favorite player because right. he's he's just quirky and gets the job done. He's right. the new Taysom Hill, ex- except he's like oh. actually like talented. Oh uh, come on! We're not gonna we're not gonna slander Taysom here. No no Taysom slander. He I'm, Taysom's fine. Taysom. He's just not. He's just not like four years at sixty six million or whatever. They, That's a better way of saying it. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. Sorry, Taysom. I don't have anything against Taysom Hill. I have things against that one year where everybody just couldn't stop talking about Taysom Hill. I still have PTSD from that. Uh, I, I respect that. And. Who who's who called him? One, was it Baldy who called him one of the best players in the NFL? Like this that year, that sounds about right. I like Baldy though. I like Baldy. We, we get we get carried away when we're trying to get that. Oh, absolutely. We are, we work in an industry that is very overreactionary. There, very hyperbolic. An, there's an individual who's become like one of the big quarterback talkers. You know, like the quarterback expert talkers, and okay. I had to follow and immediately mute them. Because this person skipped, this is a former ball player. Okay. Skip the part in between where they're sort of a measured, intelligent person talking about, you know, the dagger concept and things like that, and leaped immediately to, is this person the next Dan Marino? Like, oh, I, I think I know exactly what you're talking right, about. Like, okay. is, Will Le- is Will Levis Dan Marino now? And I looked at this and it's like, you need to at least spend a year or two being normal before you turn into this braying jackass who just watches four passes by a guy and goes out there and jumps up and down and says this stuff and says, well, you know, I'm a former quarterback. So, you know, you have to listen to what I say. And it's like, no, you know, that's uh, I'll save it for after the lobby, but well, I have a a very good comp for that. Um, (laughs) We can talk about Will Levis for a minute because he plays my Steelers tomorrow. Um, And by the way, bet the under for that. Both teams are two of the worst in the league at covering are hitting the I'm, over. I'm doing first quarter under almost guaranteed. That, but bet your mortgage on that. <laughs> Great. Why not? Great. What's the first quarter? What is the first quarter over? It's probably just like seven and a half or something. I'm always. I, I usually that's what I'm doing. Like at five o'clock at night here, the first quarter over. Oh, six and a half. I'll go under at plus one fourteen. That's fine. Can you do yeah. if you can do a same game parlay? Do first quarter under and just total under. That's that's probably a fine little parlay you can do. Probably do something like that. Uh, I usually don't parlay them because I like the first quarter is done. I know I've, whether I've got a win or a loss, and then Fair. I can go place additional bets. Yeah. Okay, that's a good call. I might have to take that that out of the Mike Tanier book of sports betting, especially on night games. Yeah, when you've got nothing better to do on a Thursday night besides bet Steelers Titans first quarter over unders. Right, because right. if, if it's like if it's like twenty eight to three at halftime, you can just go to bed. You don't have to like, <laughs> but you got like a little play and you had fun, and you're not waiting until the end. Like, oh, somebody backdoor covers on me on the fourth quarter, and you're like half asleep. Uh, not fun. Not fun. Right. Well, the over under is thirty six and a half. Uh, the Steelers are one and six against the over. The Titans are two and five. But Will Levis just threw for four touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, against uh, good Falcons defense. Yeah. But it was very, watching that game back, it was very just like, oh, okay, he's either going to throw it 900 yards downfield or he's throwing a screen pass. There's right. not an intermediate game right now for Will Levis. 
No, and it's very much – it's very old school with a rookie quarterback. Like, yeah. if you like what you see on a one-on-one matchup with the star receiver going up the, the sideline, just heave it, 50-50 ball, let Nuke get it. The, the old Kubiak system would be have a lot of that. Like, do a play action. He goes up the sidelines, single coverage throw. If not, there's a fullback over here, right? <laughs> Get the two yard pass. It wasn't exactly like that, but it was like there was a lot of screens to Akanakwo and to and to uh, you know the running backs and everything. And then it was bombs to uh, Nuke, and I liked it especially in contrast to the over-engineered Arthur Smith method of doing everything. Yes, where yeah. he's having a tight end three throw to tight end two while tight end one blocks. Yes, yes. And, like, it would be sorcery for him to say, why don't you just get the ball to your best player as much as possible, hand off to Derrick Henry, bomb the new Hopkins, see if that's enough points. And it worked, and it was. Now, yeah. uh, well, now who will, will it be Nuke against Joey Porter Jr. this week? If I had to guess, yeah. He, he's played that well where he can – it won't be probably for every matchup because he's not going to follow Nuke, I don't think. But there will be some matchups where it will be him against Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, which I'm excited to see because Joey Porter Jr.'s play. I mean, as a Steelers fan and as somebody who covers the team, is finally getting getting the snaps that he deserves, and is finally a starter. And right. and his he held in matchups against Calvin Ridley, he held him to, to two catches for only 20 yards. So I'm liking what I see from from Joey Porter Jr. Good, good. Well, this will be a tough test for him, and it's a big receiving core because he'll probably be on Traylon for whatever whatever Traylon. I, I think that Traylon Burks even still exists. The poor guy. It's a shame. I did like him coming out of college, but you get these slow 40s and they're always speaking to you. They're always telling you something, the slow 40s. Like, well, no, because if you look at his root running and his versatility and his Debo Samuel like attributes, and everything, like, nope, 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 not today, Satan. Nope, he's going to, you know, he's going to be lumbering on the shallow cross and that's who he's going to be. I mean, at that point, he should just eat a few biscuits and become a tight end. No, that never works. No. That never works. Now that's the uh, that's the JJ Ortega Whiteside uh, ticket out of the out of the NFL. I mean, because there's a type of receiver who is like super blocking guy. Yeah, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Sherfeld. Um, but like that's a specialist, and they're not super bulky guys. They're just like yeah. MF. Just like they slam in there, and you kind of want them to stay receivers because then you know they'll get covered. You know, look at these matchup confusion and like the team will go into nickel or dime based on where they're out there. So, you know, it's going to be Will Levis against Kenny Pickett. And here's a fun little nugget for you. Um, and his first start, Will Levis threw for two more touchdowns than Kenny Pickett ever has in a game. <laughs> Kenny Pickett is not thrown for more than two touchdowns in a game. He's thrown for two touchdowns in a game once in his career. And by the way, somebody had tweeted this. I'm going to try to give them credit for this uh, because it's a mind boggling stat that will just irritate Steelers fans to high heavens. Okay. Uh, let me let me find it. Um, ah, here it is. Okay, so this is from Scott Cashmere. Uh, lowest passing touchdown percentage in NFL history, minimum 500 attempts. Gary Huff is number one. Kenny Pickett is number two. <laughs> he is he is worse in terms of that than Chris Winkie, Deshaun Kaiser, Ryan Leaf, and Brady Quinn. Those are some names. Wow. Yeah, you broke up a little bit. I did hear Deshaun Kaiser and Chris Wanky, which was which was sufficient to give me a sense of this. What what's yeah. the mentality? What's the Steeler fan mentality on Pickett right now? Is he still 
God's gift of sliced bread or is yeah, there... you know, you and I had this conversation around this time last year, so we might as well give an update on it. Um, so at this point last year, there was the and still two fan bases within one. It's the Kenny Pickett stands who, oh, it's not Kenny Pickett's fault. Matt Canada stinks. The offensive line stinks. Woe is me. Poor Kenny Pickett. And then there's the normal people who are like, oh, okay, well, yeah, Matt Canada's bad and the offensive line still isn't very good, but this quarterback stinks. He's not right. good. And, right. and I hate like saying that, especially in like this line of work and everything. I shouldn't say stinks because it's it, but because Kenny Pickett's a cool dude. He's a nice guy. I'm not trying to bash the human being. He's just not a good NFL quarterback, man. And nothing that I've seen, I haven't seen any sort of progression from year one to year two. And can some of that be attributed to the offense? Yes, of course it can. Can some of it be attributed to the offensive line not being great? Yes, of course it can. But those things aren't mutually exclusive, and he has not looked good. So that's where I'm at. Um, there's still going to be fan bases that are fans within the fan base that are, you know, hey, Ken, Kenny's the guy. Look at all the game winning drives and everything. That's cool, but it would also be awesome if he didn't play really badly for 58 minutes and have to have a game winning drive. The game winning drive. So it's like the last, like Zach Wilson has like three of them now or four. He of just them. had one this past Sunday. Right. Right. This is <laughs> it's like the awful. It's, it's the Tim Tebow statistic. Look at the game-winning drive to win yeah. the game 16 to 13. It's like, what the hell did you do for three and a half quarters that you had to heroically throw a jump ball to George Pickens or whatever you're doing week to week to get these these victories? And, and I don't want to trash pick it, because, but like at some point you'd see the there in the there. Mm-hmm. Like even if it was in a – there'd be like a, a three-touchdown game and a loss. He'd have gotten into a shootout or – or you'd see, you know, just a statistically strong game or something where, you know, he's finding these tertiary targets or doing something. And, and all you see is sort of – it's really disastrous, let's put it that way. But he's, Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, but it's just he's there. You don't see these brilliant decisions. You don't see these improvisational great moments. It's He's just there. Again, anytime you're in a group where you are worse at something than Chris Winkie, Deshaun Kaiser, Ryan Leaf, and Brady Quinn, that's not good. It's not good. Right. That's a bad sign. And with him and Love, who's trending down into the ditch, and Ritter, who's already benched, and Hal, and I, I, I hesitate to put Pickett, Pickett in the uh, same conversation because he was a first-round pick. You don't I felt have like he was a leech as a first round pick, though, man. Like it felt like yeah. even though he was taken in the first round, like ah, you probably could have waited. Or you you don't have a starting starting quarterback just because you say you have a starting quarterback. That's a that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you yeah. can't manufacture a franchise quarterback out of a couple of late season wins and an off season of headlines and messaging. Yes. Which and, really- I, look, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. Like, I drank the preseason Kool-Aid. I saw, oh, my goodness, they're scoring oh, yeah. touchdowns on every preseason drive. This is going to be a great year. Yeah. And then the offense was more of the same of what it was last year. Right. They're still running their preseason offense against real defenses. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is for definitely a – the thing with, like, those other quarterbacks, though, like, with how I see a lot of, like, Jameis Winston in him where either he is on or yeah. he has too many. He's like Patrick Mahomes or, like, Subway sandwich artist. Like those are <laughs> Sam House two modes. Right. Um, at least with that, you can at least see, okay, Sam House threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. That's pretty cool. Like maybe right. we have something here, but um, we haven't seen any of that with Pickett yet. Right, right. He's just there, right? How is making all kinds of good and terrible things happen. Love does a little of that. 
you know, where it's mostly terrible. Then you'll see the arm. Do you think they're in like Drake May territory right now, Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be looking for a quarterback next year unless there's a sudden turnaround. Mm. Unless there's, and remember, Love is on like a one-year contract. Yeah, because I mean, he's been there forever. They they did a restructure on him, and it's this year, and there's like a second-year option in it, but it's like a team. Okay. Right. So they built this, and people have asked me, why haven't they benched this kid yet? Like, well, first of all, I can't even identify his backup. I'm going to find out who the backup quarterback yeah. for the Packers is now because I don't know who it is either. And secondly, if you're on a one-year contract and it's a rebuilding year and you're still paying Aaron Rodgers $88 gazillion, you might as well keep evaluating, keep evaluating, and be like, okay, we'll just we'll just solve this problem in, in January. We'll solve it in the, in the draft. All right, so I am looking up who their who their backup quarterback is because I'm fascinated to see who who it could possibly be. Nice. So let's see. Drum roll, please, if this loads any slower. Nice so work. The, the backup quarterback is. Oh yeah, I knew who this is. Yeah, never mind. Sorry, as a Penn State fan, I know Sean Clifford. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. I forgot that he won the backup job. Yeah, sorry. My, Big red dog. Who's their third quarterback? It doesn't have who. Do they have one? Do they have? I don't think they have. They don't have one listed on their team site. Oh my goodness! I'm going to go to our lads to see. Good yeah, like Our lads will have it. Right. So yeah, Sean Clifford, fifth round pick, which I thought was a little high. They don't have one listed on our lads either. I don't think they have one. Alex McHugh. Alex McHugh. <laughs> sure. Why Alex not? McHugh. I remember Florida International. He was like a big buzzy. Like draft Nick, like draft Nick's were like, oh, this guy, he's the top secret guy. And he was like this kind of burly dude at Florida Inter- International. It was like uh you know, like the Pillsbury throw boy guy. <laughs> Maybe not. I might be thinking of the of the wrong guy, but he he's been on the Seahawks, Jaguars, Texans, Seahawks again, and now Green Bay practice squads since 2018. So that's your number three. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, I, I that's a fun trivia question. Uh, <laughs> um, who, led Florida, who led Florida International in passing in 2016? And what is the Florida International? Is it the Panthers? Florida National Panthers? That sounds, right. sounds, sounds, sounds about right. Right. I'm looking at the rest of the slate here. Mike Tanier. Like I said, it's a lowly. Low, we're going to get Taylor Heineke against Jaron Hall. That'd we're going to get um, either Kyler Murray or Clayton Toon against PJ Walker. Um, there's Sam Howell against Mac Jones. Oh, maybe the Bill Belichick goal potentially. Maybe, maybe he's uh, maybe he'll be right. scouting. Maybe Josh Harrison him will have a conversation pregame. That'll be a fun thing to pay attention to. Oh my god, CJ Stroud's playing football Sunday, though. I like what I'm seeing from CJ Stroud. I think the, I think the Texans are a frisky wild card contender. I like him now better when people aren't talking about him as much than I liked him when people were talking about him. Like, he looked rock solid to me against the Panthers mm-hmm. in a game where, I mean, he got sacked a few too many times in that game. I think they had his, they were stopped at the goal line at some point along the way, et cetera. But he looked very good managing the game. He was getting the ball to Nico. He was moving it well. And, and, and like, early in the season, he was like this magic unicorn. Mm-hmm. Like, C.J. Stroud, is he Joe Barrow, Joe Montana, or, or Jesus of Nazareth? And, and, and now <laughs> – it's died out. It's died out, but that's good because it's like, well, he is a young quarterback. They still really run the ball a lot for him. They do a lot of tank 
dealt end arounds and things like that for him to protect him. But he can get the ball down the field. He's making good decisions with it. Yeah, he, they're only they're losing 16-15 to the uh, to the Panthers. But I think you're right. They're, you you call them a wild card team? I, I don't think. I think that they'll be like the eight nine team that's contending and going to be in it to like week 16-17. Yeah, they're, like they're the team. The that, team. Yeah, they can manufacture enough Colts wins and <laughs> Titans wins. And th- I think to really do it, they needed that Panthers win. Like they needed yeah. that one in there. And then they could have slipped in at like the uh, the nine and eight team there. But no, I'm, I'm happy the direction they're going in. Very happy indeed. Um, outside of that, there is no games that are really worth talking about, I don't think. What's the Monday night game this week? Chargers-Jets has the potential to be the stupidest game we've ever seen. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> Buck and Aikman are going to have just a wild time calling that game. If the Chargers lose that game, they're what three and five then? Yes. If the Jets win, they're five and three. Apparently, they expect the Shaman to be back under center at some point this season. They keep the Shaman's people keep telling that story because the Shaman really wants that story out there. I mean, yeah, that's that's that seems pretty evident. He is so attention starved right now. It's sad. <laughs> it's pathetic. It's like it's like my dog when I've been working for two or three hours and comes like, and, and like puts his head on my lap and everything like you need attention so bad. Aaron Rodgers, you have to send your minions to go, you know, he could come back. He could come back and maybe he can, maybe he can come back in January. We'll see how the 40 year old is moving on the recently healed by like whale semen uh, uh, Achilles or whatever, whatever he's using unicorn farts or whatever he's using on his freaking Achilles. You know, we'll, we'll see how that goes in January in uh, MetLife Stadium in the cold. We'll see how that works out. Oh, I love it. Very much fun. All right, my friend. Well, hey, what uh, what do you got coming on The Messenger this week? So much. I wrote about Josh McDaniels today. I wrote a mailbag. I don't remember what's in it today. I'm previewing some of these games. I also did a Kirk Cousins uh, sort of retrospective earlier yeah. in the messenger. So, so there's a lot there. Go to the messenger, folks. It is your uh, source, not just for sports, but for news, politics, business, entertainment, all the things you used to get in a newspaper. Remember newspapers, Jared? No. All the <laughs> things you, all your things you used to get into a from a big website, you can get <laughs> at our big website. Go check it out. It's 100 percent free. Get on a mailing list. You can get like a daily update themessenger.com and you'll find me there you'll find ryan nanny there mike renner there gary grambling there kaylin jones there a lot of good voices really good uh, nba and baseball voices too i just don't know who they are <laughs> you talk to people and say oh you you got such and such covering baseball i'm like yeah like no idea who they are god bless them. i'm sure they're amazing Amazing. I'll tell you one thing about newspapers. So every Sunday morning, because I was a my my dad was a Penn State fan. I grew up a Penn State fan, huh? and uh, so like my first and second grade year uh, when they were pretty solid. Um, my first grade year, they won the Orange Bowl, and so they were really good that year. And uh, every Sunday or yeah, Sunday paper, um, the cover would be the Penn State game, and like um, one side of the paper would be the Penn State helmet and the score, and the other side would be the other team's helmet and the score. I had a collection of those forever. I don't know what I did with them, but yeah, th- that's my my recollection of uh, of newspapers. I I, I don't was don't recall like, ever like reading too much from like an actual one. Was it the Pittsburgh Post Gazette or was it like the Altoona Tuna? Rattler? It would have been. So I didn't live in Pittsburgh at the time. It was in Central Pennsylvania. It was in York County, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, 
So what what the hell would that have been? I don't know. I'll have to look because that's going to be somewhere. Paper. Uh, maybe something Courier, maybe? Does that sound about right? That, that's it. I, I know there is a Carrier, Carrier and Times somewhere out there. And nowadays it's probably like westernpod.com and it's like – Right, right, right. What you're, what you're talking about was what kept the newspapers alive for many, many years is that like no one cared anymore about anything else. But they wanted that sports section yes. with those, that, that, that photography and, you know, their favorite columnist and the box score and everything like that. And the lines, the lines were a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and people keep it for that. Now they only keep them for like high school sports. That's, that's they, yeah, that was, a, that was another big thing was high school. Sports. But, okay. So answer me this, Mike. Senior, I've been yeah. thinking, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. How, how did people, you know, you, you talk about the lines in newspapers back in, you know, the 2000s and whatnot. How did people bet before sports betting was legal? There's this guy called a bookie. Uh, <laughs> and I had friends who did it, and I had friends who had friends who did it. And when I was really young, I had friends whose uncles or elder brothers did it. And you got to know somebody, and you got a phone number, and you placed a bet, or you told the guy next to you at the bar, and he placed a bet for you. That's how it was done. And it's, it's how it's still done, because a lot of people will not bet with the uh, with DraftKings, FanDuel, et cetera. Because there's a tax trail, and there's a, also a potential spouse trail if you're spending a lot of money. Again, <laughs> so I, I know I know people who are in that business who are still in that business because their regular customers are more comfortable going to them than which I find crazy. By the way, it's like hundred yeah, percent. Anyway. I don't have to care. You know, you know, I don't care. If there's a paper trail that I'm placing ten dollar bets, whatever. Um, but that, that's how that's how it was done. I knew a guy and it would be like, oh, we got to take a ride. And he had a little uh, pile of uh, money that was the collection from his 20 or 30 clients. Mm -hmm. and it was like, you know, six, seven hundred dollars. Go to South Philly. Go to a bar, this mysteriously empty bar, like something out of the old Rocky movie. And, you know, the guy would be there. There's like two taps. Oh, this, this bar is obviously a front. Two taps and like two bottles of Jack in the back. And you sit down and they pour you a beer or whatever. They might have like a thing of meatballs so they can say they serve food too. And you wait and, and the guy goes in the back room to pay the major bookie, the next person up the scale, gets his little cut of the vig, comes out, you drink a beer, you go home. And that was like weekly, bi-weekly ritual to keep the money flowing. I often romanticize being in that type of situation, like being like a mafia because I'm not Italian, so I couldn't be like a made man, but I could be like uh, what, uh, like the Irishman. I could be that. Yeah, you're not a made man taking book at like a South Jersey bar. You're you're somebody's nephew, honestly. And it's like, you're okay. You're okay with numbers. And one of the things is, it's like, these guys come to you. You have to cover, you have to cover them. Like we're not yeah, sending That would be hard. Yeah, we're not going to send Rocky Balboa in to cover you if you take a $1,000 bet from an idiot. Like, you have to figure this out on your own. So a lot of the times it's like, how much do you place? I'm placing a $100 bet. Well, that's your max because mm -hmm. I'm covering you right now, you know. And it's like, if you – I'll have to cover your $100 and I'll have to come after you. Yeah. But when I was a teenager, we had, we had guys and, like, the Rocky Balboa enforcer would call the dad. Hey, you know your your boy your boys two I mean, like the, the my two hundred dollars in debt. 
to the local godfather and the dad be like holy shit he's like we're gonna, we'll, we'll break your boy's hand or whatever and like the dad pays the 200 dollars and and like then beats the crap out of the dad that, that, it's, that's that's how it was and probably how it still is oh i grew up in the wrong era i think that just sounds like morbidly that just sounds like so much fun <laughs> getting in yeah it's, you know what i think that the, a little bit of danger raises the adrenaline like what's the danger in What's the what's the what's the danger in throwing ten bucks on a bet on FanDuel? Nothing. I throw twenty bucks on somebody's nephew's uncle, whatever the hell, and I get my hand broken. Yeah, that's a story. Yeah, it, it was mostly benign, and this is better now. This is better now. And I, I don't know. I don't know if teenagers can gamble now. I don't. I don't think they care because you can do so many things on your video game uh, with video games and like yeah. app purchases. Like no one even targets them for gambling. It's like I'll, I'll just put Madden on your phone and you'll want oh power ups. That's going to cost ninety nine cents and they blow sixty dollars like like powering Tyreek Hill up or whatever they do on these games. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, no, we had, we had a guy in tenth grade geometry who was <laughs> taking books. Yeah. <laughs> And another guy who was dealing pot. It was it was one stop shopping. Neither of them were me. That sounds like everything I would want, and to grow up in high school like that. I, like, don't get me wrong. The technology and everything of today is great, and I don't know how I would have a career if not for like social media and stuff. Because I genuinely don't know how it was done. Um, but oh yeah, I could I could try it for a week. <laughs> you you know, try out living in like the '80s for a week. I think that would be fun if I could have like a time machine just to go back and see what it was like. Yeah, I, I don't want to relive it. I, I I think I enjoyed it in the time, but like it it was only what forty years ago. But it was weird. And you're right in a world with no social media. I, when I was first running uh, fantasy football teams, I had to get the um, USA Today to get the box scores, and had to like hand do the box scores or do the box scores on Lotus on my little computer. Goodness. And I would leave. And I would leave. Stuff on the answering machine. I would leave the results on the answering machine. There was no internet. <laughs> Forget having a thing where it's like, well, we just go through a fantasy service and CBS or ESPN runs it. Like everything was run by hand, and I'd do it, and I'd get the phone call say, "Mike, you better go back and check. I don't think you got Drew Bledsoe's uh, uh, yardage total right." And I go, "Oh, you're right. I have to go fix it and, and things like that." It it was a different world. This was ninety two, ninety three. We're talking about. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I. That's one thing I'll never understand. Alas, I'm but a wee lad who didn't grow up in that era. <laughs> the 80s were fucked. Yeah, yeah. If you have you seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I've seen it. You know what? I gotta I gotta tell you, Mike, I don't like it. <laughs> right, right. My 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 kid will rant about it. what don't you like about it? I think that it's just very quirky, I think is the best way of putting it. Like like everybody that I know that likes it, talks about it as like this incredible, like coming of age for its time. And I watched, I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> like, it's not horrible. Like, I've definitely seen worse movies, but there's nothing special about it. You don't say, look and say, Ferris is a sociopathic douchebag who is a, absolutely abusing Cameron for this entire movie. Now that you, now that you mention it, and yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, right. Cameron, who is dealing with a lot of anxiety issues and things like that, is being dragged along on an adventure that he has no interest in being a part of and is being browbeaten 
by his buddy who also treats like his parents like crap, his little sister like crap. Yeah, he's just like a prick. <laughs> yeah, he's just a prick. And I watched this movie when I was 16, like, this is so cool, man. This is what speaks to me. And like, like, you know, I look, and part of it was I was a teacher, you know, and I, I'm looking at like this little this little a-hole, just show the school you're in, the school you're in is a utopia. Uh, you know, it's like this uh wonderful suburban school in the Chicago suburbs. It's super safe. Yeah. I'm by all these other wonderful, beautiful children and things like that. Just show up and do your thing and go home. Not like fake sick days when you're like 17 years of age. You know, the better, the much better, like quote unquote coming of age movie is Days and Confused. That movie yeah. I love. Much so, better, but, that's like, a good movie. but that's a 90s movie talking about the 70s. So it's Are like in the, the 90s. That's a 90s movie. That's like 93. Okay. Yeah. When did Ferris Bueller's Day Off come out? 87, 88. That's Matthew Broderick, right? That's Matthew Broderick, Jennifer Grey, uh, Ben Stein in a cameo. Uh, Jeffrey Jones as the uh, as the uh, principal does great work there. There's a string of them. Have you ever seen Revenge of the Nerds? I have not seen Revenge of the Nerds. It's stunningly, everybody deserves to be canceled and condemned whoever made it. And I watched it 20 times when I was a kid. It's, 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 it's full. The eighties are messed up. <laughs> are messed up. You've seen the breakfast club, right? I've seen the breakfast club. Right. Right. So this is, a. I feel like most, like a lot of things back then could be in that category of like, Oh yeah, we couldn't make this today, but like watching it back, we can goofy. <laughs> right. Well, oh no. If you watch reruns of the nerds, you'd be stunned. The breakfast really? club, you could, you could breakfast club, you could remake it. But again, it's like these, very privileged kids mm -hmm. uh, like all of our problems in this cross-section of america is it's four white kids and emilio estevez as your closest thing to an ethnic kid in the group the homely girl is ali sheedy you know who is like would be like a the, the knockout homecoming queen any place on earth right um and anyway you, you've got me on this on this the 80s were messed up and we didn't have smartphones and we did not have the internet Sort of. We, there was cocaine. We had a lot of cocaine. <laughs> and so my father grew up in the, well, I guess in, he was in his 20s, like late teens, early 20s throughout the 80s. He was born in 66. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, a, little, a little older than me. So like, you know, you get this this full experience. Some of the music was good. A lot of the TV was, was good. But like the value systems were really, really, really Yeah. Good. Yeah. As a, as a U.S. history nerd, I took a few history classes as electives in college, and I, I had a U.S. history since 1920s class. So we got to the 80s. I was like, this Reagan guy is kind of a, he's kind of a dick. <laughs> yes. And, and I don't want to get political on this show, but sure. like the permeation of the culture of this sort of like monoculture, like this is, this is the way things are, and like the pursuit of wealth. And the pursuit of like fitting in and an acceptable central, like, uh, like goal for society. There, obviously, you don't want to be gay in that era, right? Uh, right, right. You don't want to be any minority in the era. And then when you watch the movies from the eighties, there's usually, uh, you you know, you're not doing black jokes at this point in the eighties, but right. every other ethnicity is on the table to mess around with. Uh, <laughs> so you can kind of see what's going on right underneath the surface. And this is all being played for laughs, or just this is just the way it is. You yeah. know, and and yeah, it was it was a weird time. It was a weird time. A lot that of was cooking. a fun little that was a fun little eighties tangent that we went down. I I enjoyed that. <laughs> God, <laughs> really, 
end this podcast before I start going off. Yeah, yeah I suppose so. Um, check out my power rankings in USA Today. I compared Jimmy Garoppolo to Sanjaya Malakar from the 2006 season of American Idol. Um, so go <laughs> go and read that if you'd like. Oh, um, I'm, oh if not tomorrow, I'm, I'm at least writing it up. So it will come out either Thursday or Friday. The 2023 All-Disappointment team. Nice. People who have just completely underwhelmed. Um, so me, that'll be out later on. What's that? Give me a sample. Who's in that? Uh, the quarterback. You can. Gi- I'll give you two guesses on who the quarterback is. Oh my goodness, Daniel Jones. There you go. Ding ding. Yeah. Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the team. So there's a little bit of a sneak peek of the all disappointment team. So offense, defense. Who's uh, kind of disappointed this year? Uh, and then next week, maybe I'll do an all like surprise team of who's lived, who's exceeded expectations to be, you know, more of a positive person in my job. <laughs> um, but then behind the steel curtain, all the Steelers stuff throughout the week. Um, and then come back here for more pump fake stuff every Tuesday, the, the recap show week or uh, Wednesdays, uh, the Q and a shows, and then the preview shows as well. So come back here for more. Mike Tanier, I always enjoy talking to you, my friend. I was dressed as you today since, you know, Peter King and David Kanner both asked if we were father and son. It would have been funny. <laughs> Unbelievable. But I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate everybody for listening. This is a longer podcast, but I, I always enjoy our conversations, Mike. So I appreciate you. All right, man. You too. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.